Welcome to the ARPA Animal Rescue of the Week podcast, featuring outstanding organizations around the country that are helping animals and the people who rescue them. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal rescue. Midwest Animal Rescue was founded in 2009 and they are located in Raytown, Missouri. They're a small foster-based rescue group focused on rescuing dogs from inhumane conditions from local, large-scale breeding facilities. With the help of dedicated supporters and volunteers, Mark has grown into a multifaceted group in a short period of time. Their sanctuary property sits on six acres and provides safe housing for animals needing special medical or behavioral help prior to going to their forever homes. Mark is committed to helping pets in need whenever possible, including all breeds and ages. Their objective is simple, completing families one tail at a time. Hey, Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so excited you're here uh, and to learn more about what you guys are doing and, and how you got into animal welfare. Uh, why don't you start us off a little bit about with your background and how you got started with the Midwest Animal Rescue? Absolutely. Um, so I actually went to school in Texas and then moved to California. Um, I worked mostly in automotive and automotive software. Um, I moved back to Kansas City in 2009 and adopted my very first pet, um, which was a nine-year-old puppy mill survivor mama. And from there, um, I just started to get more involved. My eyes were open to what a problem there was with homeless pets, um, especially with breeding facilities in Midwest in Midwest and Missouri in particular, um, and just kind of started to get my hands dirty and went from there. Wow. So you actually got your start by adopting a mama puppy from a puppy mill. Yes. So I'm curious, start me there. Uh, how did how did that come about and what actually did you see through that process? Um, to be honest, I had a very, very difficult time adopting. Um, I struggled with getting phone calls back. I struggled with being approved because I hadn't had a pet before. Um, and the entire process was just really frustrating and difficult. Um, and so that experience is actually what really made me want to start my own um, rescue. I came from a business background and I thought, you know, gosh, here's all these homeless animals. Um, yet I found the process to be very difficult um, to adopt. And so, you know, famous last words, I thought, well, I'll just start my own. How hard can that be? It'll just have a couple dogs at a time and it's grown exponentially. You know, we've pretty much doubled in size every year since. So I love the, I love the backstory in that, in that you really struggled to adopt, right? All you mm -hmm. wanted to do is really save an animal and and the and you found the process extremely difficult. Um, so I find that very interesting. And then I I also find it very interesting that you found your first adoption through puppy mill. So I know we're going to get into that a little uh, bit later. But thank you for sharing. Story. Sure. How when did you actually start Midwest Animal Rescue? In two thousand and nine, um, shortly after the adoption of that pet, um, because I had found that other a lot of other people were having the same difficulties. Um, as far as, you know, struggling if you hadn't had a pet before, if you didn't have a fence, if you didn't, um, you know, I found the process difficult and I wanted to try to have a, a rescue that focused as much on the people as it did on the pets. And did you start off right away with 
a physical location or did it start off as a fostering program? Tell us a little bit about how you got started with that. Sure. We were completely foster-based up until two years ago. So we've only had a facility for two years. Um, I worked full-time in addition to running the rescue um, up until the last two years as well. I finally, when we got the facility, had to um, take the plunge, quit my quote-unquote real job (laughs) and focus on the rescue. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is often where people find themselves at, right? Especially with animal rescue, it, it does become, it, it starts as a virtual mission, right? Yes. Um, and so I think you were very fortunate enough and, and it sounds like had this, the support you needed um, to actually open up a physical location, which is great. And do you guys shelter animals there during their transition or? We do. So um, we do um, shelter animals there until adoption. Um, Hope usually their stay isn't too terribly long. Um, it's a small facility, only 16 uh, dog runs, a couple of smaller kennels for small dogs and puppies, and then uh, two cat rooms. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what the community is like? I know you guys are located in Raytown, which mm-hmm. is a suburb of, of Kansas City. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the broader area and then a little bit more um, on Raytown specifically? Um, well, Raytown was... Um, definitely a passion project for me as well because it was sort of the last real area in the kc metro that struggled with an obscenely high euthanasia rate um the record keeping wasn't great but we they didn't consider uh, feral cats for example as as animals so those weren't counted in the numbers but to our best estimate um, they were euthanizing around 90 plus percentage of cats um, and about 85% of their dogs. Wow. Yeah. And so we worked really hard to try to come into the a community. Um, and it was just sort of a perfect fit for us because it's not a, a huge community, but, um, the need was, was huge. Um, and so we thought that we would be able to come into that community and make, make a huge difference right off the bat. I think that's, smart in that before you actually opened and started, you found a targeted area that had a problem um, and one that you felt that you could make a large impact in. I think that's not only smart, but I think that's very generous, right? You could you could set up anywhere and to focus on an area that needs so much help. Um, well, I mean, you can view it two ways. Yes, it, it, you know, it was a great thing and there was a great need there. Um, you know, it was also a scary step to come into a community, um, you know, that had so much need that there was so much, um, pushback, but you know, the reality is you, there's kind of nowhere to go, but up in that regard. So (laughs) it was easy, you know, to, to make real world difference right out of the gate, which, um, we were grateful to have the opportunity to do. Yeah. I think one word that really stuck out to me and that is pushback. Why? Why do you think you got the pushback there? Um, I think there were some folks um, who've had the the contracts with the city historically who just had a really outdated mindset. Um, the mindset was that, you know, c- cats needed to be destroyed if they weren't reunited um, with owners, which they very unfortunately rarely are, and that all of the dogs that were being destroyed were somehow unadoptable. Um, and that warranted them being being killed. And so um, there was a lot of pushback that uh, sick animals were going to be, you know, put back out in the community. Dangerous animals were going to be put back in the community. Um, that the city was somehow going to be more liable. That there was just a lot of um, 
there was a gap in education about what modern sheltering looks like and modern animal welfare. Wow. So not only did you have a challenge with the animals, but it sounds like on the people side uh, as well. Yes, very much so. There was a lot of concern with some of the residents about illness transfers and um, dangerous animals, like I mentioned. And so it, you know, it took a lot of meetings and uh, alderman meetings and city council and, and meeting with residents to try to change the opinion of, of what it would look like to have a humane shelter in their area. Yeah. So again, building relationships is is key. Would you say that's kind of number one in your success over the last 10 years? Absolutely. Um, I think sometimes what happens in animal welfare is there's a lot of really great intentioned people um, that sometimes focus with, with the heart and not some of the business background of those simple, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a business background and understand that this business is, is the same in a lot of ways to any other business and that relationships are key to the success of any business and mine is no different. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, and I, it, it's very true, actually, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, in the animal welfare world, it is all heart, right? And yep. people are very emotional and it's hard to take a step back um, and see things in a in a business perspective when you're dealing with lives. Um, but sometimes Absolutely. it's it's necessary to do that, uh, and also to work with your local government, right? I think that's key, and I think that's a I think that's a scary thing for people, right? They don't know how they're going to be perceived or viewed. Um, so, how what would you recommend to people who need to start building those relationships? How do they get started in that? Is it as simple as just contacting them and setting up a meeting, or is there more to that? It wasn't that simple for us. I mean, we kind of fell on deaf ears for a long time. The key for us was finding that one or two, you know, person or persons within the government that have pets, that love pets, that you notice have, you know, pictures of their three dogs on their desk um, <laughs> or, you know, their screensaver is a cat. And, and those are the people that you really focus on and build a relationship with. And then suddenly that circle begins to broaden and you're seen as an individual instead of just another, you know, quote unquote, crazy animal rights person. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair description. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. A lot of folks get, you know, just dismissed as another quote unquote, crazy yeah. person when there's, you know, obviously a broad spectrum of, of goals within the animal welfare industry for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that couldn't have been said more honestly. Uh, so I appreciate that. So we kind of talked a little bit about the community and where you started at, right, 10 years ago. So I want to kind of talk about some challenges as an organization. Um, I know I saw on your website that you guys do um, rehoming and working with other local rescues and shelters. So I want to talk a little bit about that. What? Do, how many do you? How many requests do you see come in, and what are you guys working on to help that? Either reduce that number or actually help them with the rehoming process. Tell us more. Um, so we receive on average about 60 requests for intake per day. Um, and we are not, you know, a, a super large group. So that's, and we don't do close to that many adoptions per day. Um, so unfortunately, there's more need than we have the ability to supply um, space for. So uh, we try to focus on, you know, maybe connecting people with other groups, um, try to, you know, figure out if there's something that we can do to help facilitate the pet staying in the home. Is it, um, you know, a medical procedure that we can pay for? Is it dog food or cat food that we can supply? 
Um, is it some simple training tips? Um, is it a crate that they need? Um, oftentimes it's very simple things and, and we're able to solve a problem and keep a pet in a home, which is fantastic. Um, you know, but it, we, and we'll always, always, always offer to spay and neuter anybody's pet. Um, you know, if, if we get a call about a litter of unwanted puppies, for example, um, we're always very adamant and eager to try to alter the animals in the home. So we're not getting that same phone call in six months. I love that. So you guys are definitely a resource for the community. Um, we certainly try to be um, yeah. and, and help whenever possible um, because it's, it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. So one of the things that I was really shocked to hear was you guys actually get 60 a day, 60 mm -hmm. requests a day, and yep. yet you don't have the capacity for all of those animals. So I think it's important that you work with them to try and figure out the problem. Um, but not only that, the other thing that feeds into that is the fostering. And I know you guys have a fostering program. Um, so for those emergencies where you can't solve the problem for them and they're really just in a bind, I have to believe that you really rely on your on your foster home program for that. So heavily. Um, I can tell a, just a quick story that happened, uh, I think two weeks ago, we had a phone call about 44 puppies that were uh, destined to go to a broker and be sold to pet stores. The pet stores were still too full to accept the dogs. Um, and so they had nowhere to go. Um, and usually the outlook for dogs in this um, situation is very, very bleak and there's no time to spare. So there's, you know, you don't even get a day <laughs> to, to make that plan. You have to say yes. And within a couple of hours, that quantity of animals are, are going to be at your door. So being able to just be confident enough in our foster network to be able to say yes um, and we'll figure it out <laughs> and and go from there um, and we were able to save uh, all 44 which was fantastic and i think we found foster homes immediately for all but eight um, which was just amazing so fostering is absolutely the key to to being able to save lives on a on a larger scale wow when you mentioned 44 i had instant chills it's a lot of puppies, a lot of uh, poopy newspapers and yeah, <laughs> all that and stuff. And there's the truth, right? Yeah, everyone just thinks fluffy, cute. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But the reality is <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of mess, but wow, also a lot of cute. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine. So <laughs> you've been at this for 10 years. So I kind of want to talk about the progression of this. When you started... It was all virtual, right, for the first couple of years. So why don't you talk to us about where you started, what that growth looked like in the foster program, um, and where you're at now, and share with us some numbers. Did you start with two? Are you at 100 now? Like, share some of that information with us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started, I had three extra kennels that had been donated to me in my lower level of my home, and that's how it started. Um, and it was just me. And then, you know, I had a friend that said, hey, I can keep a, a puppy dog for for a few days and from there it just started to grow you know I think for the first several years we had maybe 10 um, up until kind of the third year and our reputation um, started to get a little bit broader thanks to social media um, and our foster numbers started to sort of double and triple every year and uh, last year we were actually able to hire somebody as a foster manager um, and so ever since then, our program has just been through the roof. We were accepted um, 
by the group CAT in Oregon to do their CAT and kitten foster pilot program. So um, we flew out there, we're able to learn a ton and, and garner a bunch of fosters through learning about their program. And the key to keeping fosters I found is, is again, it's, it's those relationships, right? It's being available to them, being honest with them, keeping them in the loop um, and, and supporting them as they go through the process, which can be, you know, hard. Sometimes animals are sick. Sometimes um, there's behavioral problems. Sometimes it's difficult to say goodbye to them and just, um, you know, listening and understanding their needs so that they're op willing to open their heart and home for the next one. I definitely agree. How cool is that? The progress that you've made uh, and the support from the community. That's pretty awesome. It is overwhelming every day. Um, just the amount of, of people that support the cause that I'm so passionate about. It's 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 really fantastic. Yeah, I love that. And the other thing I came across on your website, which it made me laugh, but it's so true. I love that you say the trick is to get attached with Velcro and not glue. Yep. Um, we talk about, you know, a lot of times that we're the, we're, we're the bridge, right? We're the, 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 the ways to get them from point A to point B. Point A is um, usually pretty difficult. And so we're there to love and cherish them and, and, the ultimate goal is to see them complete someone else's family. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, I often tell my fosters as they're tearfully saying goodbye that, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the day that it becomes easy and the day that you, you know, don't have emotion saying goodbye to them is the day you probably need to stop fostering. So I yeah. love that. I don't know if you found that somewhere, if you came up with that, but I, <laughs> I fell in love with it when I saw it on your website. So I had to mention it, but I definitely yeah. love the Velcro versus glue analogy. Yeah. I think it's pretty thank great. Thank you. That's thank you. So before we really talk about the memorable stories and the future and all the fun stuff, um, mm -hmm. I do know that you one of your passions that got you into this is the the puppy mill aspect that Missouri is did you say the worst state for breeding or one of the worst states? Um, it is the worst. Okay. Um, in the nation as far as puppy production. So um, anywhere in the nation, you have, if you buy a puppy at a pet store, for example, you've got about a seven out of 10 chance that that puppy originated from the state of Missouri. Um, we have a disproportionate number on the horrible hundred list as far as the horrible hundred um, worst performing puppy mills for inspection purposes. Um, you know, I could go on and on and on, but, but yes, we are by far the worst um, when it comes to, to puppy mills. Yeah, I I had no idea. Um, although I've I have to admit I haven't researched that, but I was shocked when you when you mentioned that to me. And so I love that that is a priority for you, um, especially after you're adopting your first one from a puppy mill. Is there a reason? Have they? Why is Missouri the worst? Yeah, I get that question a lot, and it's not it's not like you know our water grows better puppies here or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it's just um, a couple of things. It's lack of animal welfare legislation. Um, it's gutting of the legislation that the voters passed. Um, it's lack of bandwidth for inspectors. Um, so there's a, a kind of a myriad of, of issues that kind of lead to that. And the very first puppy mill um, started in Missouri. So, and, and the first broker started in Missouri. And so it's really a homegrown industry, um, you know, where a cattle farmer said, hey, I can't do cattle anymore. I'm going to farm puppies. And it grew, you know, from the Wheaton, Missouri area outward um, to where it is today. 
again, chills. I just, I, I can't believe that. I mean, it happens in every state, right? But to be in a state where that is the number one. There's a lot that goes on here um, within the pet industry that, that's just heartbreaking. We're the only state that allows um, auctions for dogs and cats. Um, literally just like you would expect, you know, but instead of vehicles being auctioned off, it's, it's live dogs and dogs typically, um, you know, again, the only state that that's, that that's legal. So, um, we have a long way to go, uh, in state and that's part of why I'm so passionate about helping those animals in particular. Yeah. I, I love that. And I definitely applaud you for, for making that, you know, a priority. Biggest thing that people can do to start having impact right away is, is affecting the demand, right? If people stop buying puppies from puppy mills and at pet stores and on these online brokerage sites, um, that that's the only real thing that's going to solve the problem. Yeah, I agree. And nicely stated. Yes, I agree. I'm kind of speechless at the moment, right? Just trying to process all of that. <laughs> it's very overwhelming. Um, yeah. You know, having been in the puppy mills, having been to these dog auctions, um, it's it's just, it, it's, it is very overwhelming. And that's why you just have to kind of head down and focus on the incremental changes you can make and educating people the best you can and uh, just trying to, you know, yeah. get changes made every single day, little by little. Yeah. No, I think that's huge. Baby steps really do go a long ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. I want to flip a little bit because one of the other things that is always needed from organizations is donations. And one of the things that I like on your website is it's very easy to get to, but I love that you give three very broad categories Mm -hmm. for people to kind of donate to. So talk to us a little bit about what you need, how people can help, a little bit about what the different categories are that you have set up on your website. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the first category that we have is the Jelly Bean Fund. Uh, Jelly Bean was the first dog that I had adopted from a puppy mill, and those funds 100% go to help dogs get out of mill situations. Um, so that is all those funds can be used for. Um, and some people are share my passion in trying to help free animals from puppy mills, and so that's what that fo- fund was designed for. Um, we also have a special needs medical fund um, because my other pe- big passion is, um, you know, sick, injured, trauma, um, those types of animals. Often they come in. We have an animal control contract as well, so we get all the stray animals from Raytown. Often, you know, sometimes they've been hit by cars. Sometimes they're uh, suffering from disease. Um, and so our special needs medical fund helps to fund anything above and beyond what we consider, you know, typical vet care. Okay. And then we have our general fund, which just kind of goes for everything else. Full bellies, right. <laughs> flea medicine, keeping the lights on, right. you name it. Um, and so, um, you know, and the, what one of the things we're really proud of is even with our general fund, um, 100% of the donations, uh, 96 cents out of every dollar that's donated goes directly to animal care. Um, we are pride ourselves on being very, very frugal and being good stewards of our donors' money. I love that. That's awesome. Thanks. I think it's important, you know, that they, and I encourage no matter anyone who's listening, no matter who you're passionate about or who, you know, you wanting to donate, take, take the time to look at their tax returns, their 990s. It's all public information. Look at their budgets and make sure that, um, the money that you're donating that you've worked so hard for is going to, to fund the cause that you feel strongly about. 
Yeah, that's a great that's a great tip. People forget about that, right? There, it's mm-hmm. it's so easy to open up your wallet and donate, but you don't actually know if every nonprofit is spending the same way, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. definitely think that's important. Now, you did mention, you know, the medical side of things. Do you guys have a vet on hand? We work with a couple different vet offices, depending on what our needs are. Um, it's definitely on our bucket list to employ a vet someday um, when we have a little bit larger facility. Because um, right now we've got animals kind of in every nook and cranny. Sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, we have several great vets that we work with, depending on you know what what need the animal has. Yeah. And then do they also help you with the the spay and neutering that you had mentioned earlier? Yes. Of course, every pet okay. um, it, that comes through is spayed, neuter, spayed or neutered, vaccinated, microchipped, et cetera. Sure. Um, so yes, we have vets that offer us, a, you know, yeah. a, a discounted rate, certainly not free. A lot of folks somehow think that that we get to vet our animals for free. And I wish that were true. Yeah, that's not. definitely not the case. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh-uh. no, but that's, but that's good. I love that you have multiple relationships, um, you know, with vets across the area. So I think that's really important as well. And again, I think that that lends itself to your business background, right? Is the relationship building. Absolutely. Um, you know, and we, again, that's one of the things that's kept our, we've had the same veterinary relationships um, and vendor relationships since, you know, for the last 10 years. And it's, you know, we don't carry a balance. We do what we say we're going to do when we're going to do it because, you know, those vendors are in, and partners are really, really important. Yeah. To the welfare. Yeah. Yeah. I love, you know, having those relationships again, I agree with you is, is definitely key and, and holding your word uh, yeah. is definitely really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we're kind of talking about the animals. I do want to talk a little bit about the live release rate. I know you guys have had some changes and you're improving. And so I want to talk about where you started and, and where you're at and kind of if you have a goal for yourself here in the in the near future and where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we first started, we had a 100% success rate, um, which is easier to do when you're not an open and take shelter. So you kind of, I don't want to say pick and choose, but you kind of get to pick and choose what animals you um, come into your program. And so um, we were at 100% live release for a long, long time. Um, Then I started to focus a lot on very old uh, senior dogs. Um, And sometimes I would pull dogs from high kill shelters, for example, knowing that we were probably going to have to euthanize them at some point, but kind of wanting them to give them cheeseburgers and feather sure. pillows. <laughs> um, and so we've never been a group that that manages to that spreadsheet, if you will. Sure. Um, we try to do, do what's in the best interest of every animal. Now, that being said, um, when we did take over the Raytown, Missouri contract, they were um, up around 90% euthanasia rates for cats, um, and I believe in the 80s for dogs. Um, and so that needed to change. And we are um, so happy to report that we um, are now at a 95% live release rate overall, which, um, you know, we, we, there's still, you know, obviously we room for improvement. We, but um, we're just overjoyed with the, the amount that we've been able to move that. We basically flipped it right from killing 90% to, to saving right more than that. So yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's huge. Yeah, and um, we couldn't do it without the community support, our fosters, um, our employees, our donors. Yeah, um, yeah, but but to have all those animals have a, ch- a chance now, 
um, is really, really rewarding. Yeah, I definitely love that. Uh, That's a great turnaround. And it sounds like something that was pretty recent, right? Since you just captured that contract with them a few years back. So this is all something that's only happened in the last few years. Is that right? Uh, Yep, it's been two years now. So um, and we we still have struggles. Um, You know, they, we don't have the contract from the date of capture. So they still go to another facility. um, And then when they're released, they come into our care. Um, and so there's been some struggles and challenges because they don't um, provide vaccines or anything upon in- impoundment. Um, and their stray hold used to be 14 days, which is very, very long and, and sort of contrary to what the state and national recommendations are. But we were able to just get that changed um, at the end of December. So we're hoping that that's going to affect our live release rate. Um, and obviously the, just the general welfare behaviorally, medically of the animals that we're receiving as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That took a lot. Uh, uh, that was a long road, but we were so excited that that finally passed. It, it's made all the difference in the world. Good. Yeah. Nothing's really ever easy, uh, in animal rescue, is it? No. And definitely when you add, a, you know, a state or city government in there, <laughs> it seems to go even slower. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'm super grateful for Raytown and, and the changes that we have been able to push through. And we have an awful lot of support. So I don't want to sound uh, ungrateful in any way, but no, there's just no, a no. lot more T's to cross and I's to dot and so forth yeah. when you're dealing with government. Yeah, of course. No, I, it didn't come across that way at <laughs> all, right? So no, I don't think you have to worry about that. Actually, I think you have incredible support from from everybody, right, to the local community, to your um, to your local government. So it sounds like you just it sounds like you've you've been able to get everybody on board, or at least close to on board mm-hmm. um, with what you guys are doing. And and again, I think the results are what motivate people to get behind you, right? So if you keep yeah. showing results and you keep moving towards towards the end result, right? I think people see that it's the action that people are gravitated to. So I think you guys are doing a great job with that. Thank you. Yeah, we work really hard to, to include the community whenever possible and be really transparent about the animals that are coming in and out of our facility. And, and we've been able to win over a lot of folks that were kind of leery in the beginning. So I think that's awesome. Community is such a big part. That's a great lead in to the next one that I'm going to ask you about, because I definitely know you guys have a lot of events that you do throughout the year. And so I see you have the next one that you have coming up. Uh, is pop art. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's in March, right? In the middle of March? Yep. We usually have one, I think every month or two. And it's such a cool event. Um, we have a fantastically talented artist who is a volunteer and foster and, and adopter uh, for us. And she has created this program where you submit a picture of your pet and she kind of puts it on a canvas and it's almost like a paint by number. So if you have no artistic talent at all, like me. Um, it still looks like an amazing painting at the end of the night. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, it's so much fun. And you can bring your own wine if you, which Even I think better. makes me a better painter personally. <laughs> but <laughs> it doesn't it make everybody a better painter? I think so. At least you think you've done a better job, right? Yeah, until the next day when you wake up, right? <laughs> You're like, oh. I yeah. love that. So do you yeah. guys get a pretty good turnout for that? We do. They um, usually sell out every single every single time they're offered. So, um, very cool. Yeah. It's super fun because you, it does do a donation to our organization, but you also have the painting to take home, um, at the end of the night. And they, like I said, they always turn out so cute. So 
That's awesome. And then the next one you have after that is Bark After Dark. So that is our big fundraiser every year. Um, And we always have a different theme. This year is um, superheroes, which will be fun. Um, because I think every one of our volunteers, fosters, donors, supporters are all superheroes in their own right. So um, it'll be a lot of fun. And we have games and auction items and silent auctions. There'll be um, some celebrity guests there and just an awesome time every year. I love that. And so all of those events that you have, is that on your website or Facebook? Where can people tap into that information? Both. So it's available on our Facebook page, which is at Mark KC. That's M-A-R-Q-K-C. That's where you can find all of our social media um, profiles. And then our website is that same M-A-R-Q-K-C.org. I love that. So everybody stay tuned, right? When is the uh, Bark After Dark again? May 4th. May 4th. And the other one is near the end of March. Yeah, I'd have to look up the date. I don't know. Okay. End of March. We still have time, right? Yeah. So there's plenty of time to check it out and sign up if there's still some spots available. So definitely definitely encourage people to do that. No, we have a great um, volunteer who helps organize all of our events because I learned very early to surround yourself with people who are good at the things you're not. Yes. And organizing events is not something I'm good at. So (laughs) I'm very grateful for those that are. No, I think that's perfect. And that's that's how we're successful, right? Surrounding ourselves with with people who have different talents. So that's absolutely that's very smart. <laughs> Definitely the business mind. Yes, yes. Yeah, I agree. So while we're talking about fun stuff, I actually always like the memorable stories portion of this. Do you have one or two that really just touched you that you want to share? Oh my gosh, there's just been so many that it's hard to even think about. I mean, we've had we had a you know a horrific um, abuse case with a, a dog. It's, I guess it's that nose was cut off and some of its toes were cut off as well. Um, they didn't expect to make it. And um, I just recently got to pet sit for him because his, his new parents um, often let me see him, which is wonderful. And you would never know. I mean, he, he has to breathe through his mouth. He doesn't. Sure. And he had like four reconstructive surgeries and oh he has his gosh. own. Uh, Facebook page and he's like a celebrity when he goes out walking around Aww. town everybody knows him and he's just the happiest most loving never met, met a stranger dog and it just really wow. speaks to my soul about how resilient these animals are and how uh, worthy they are of of all the hard work that we all put into saving them every day wow again twice chills right <laughs> I, I, it is amazing that they are so resilient, right? Mm-hmm. How they're treated and the things that they go through, and yet they're able to somehow persevere um, and trust again. And I think, I mean, I don't even have words for that. I think that's pretty amazing. We can all learn a lot from our dogs, right? We can. <laughs> we can. Absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, some of the things you see are just so horrific between the puppy mill dogs, some of the abuse cases, the hoarding cases, and so forth. And to see them blossom every day, that's why it's hard for me to, to come up with just a few yeah happy endings because we're so grateful that you know i get to see them daily yeah those happy endings so i think that's pretty incredible and i know i'm sure you have hundreds more right given you know your time in animal in animal welfare and and just being in the state you're in right with with all the stuff going on that you mentioned so thank you for sharing that one i think that's an important you know it's a it's an important reminder for people right to to understand what animals go through 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though some aren't as horrific as that, there's always, if not physical trauma, there's emotional, right? Which can be just as, as damning. Absolutely. Um, and usually it's a combination. You know, if there's one, yeah. there's the other. And um, if anybody's interested in learning more about that story, um, he's got his own Facebook page, of course. And that's Go Team Yeti. Uh, like the cup. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully people will dial into that. I will certainly check that out myself. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like a very inspiring pup. So we kind of talked about your website and the social media. Is email the best way to reach you guys if there's questions? How do people really get in touch with you? Um, we, we have our shelter phone number, which is 816-9191-DOG. Um, we have a very active social media presence. So, um, hit us up on Facebook, um, messenger or on our page, um, email as well. Yeah. We're pretty easy to track down, you know, kind of coming full circle communication and timeliness and returning uh, messages and so forth was one of the reasons I got into starting my own rescue. So, uh, customer service and being available to our customers is really important to me. Erin, I have really enjoyed my conversation with you. I've learned a lot. You've hit me in the heart a couple times. Um, so I think I can thank you for that. Um, is there anything else you want to share before we wrap things up that we maybe missed? Um, just as a huge thanks again to all of the donors and supporters. Um, there's so much that people can do if they're interested in helping animals, even you know, sharing a homeless pet on Facebook. Um, having a conversation with a family member or friend who's considering purchasing a dog from a pet store. Um, you know, you can walk animals, you can come in and clean, you can collect newspapers. There's just something for everyone to do um, that would help facilities like mine all around the country. So get involved. I love that. And on that note, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation, Erin. And again, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dobert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.